0: Hi, I'm Anika Zitto, and I'm Bella Burkhardt, and you're listening to Spilling the Tea with CCE. We're so glad that you decided to click on our podcast, and we promise you won't be disappointed. Located in Hempstead, New York, Hofstra's Center for Civic Engagement is committed to getting student voices heard right now. And that mission doesn't stop on Long Island. We want this podcast to continue the conversations we've been having on campus. Each episode features our student fellows as they spill the tea on everything from news and politics to social movements and the issues that affect our day-to-day lives. From health care to mental health, nothing is off the table. So sit back, relax, and let's start spilling the tea.
1: Before we get into this week's edition of Spilling the Tea with CCE, I wanted to include a quick content warning or trigger warning because we will be dealing with graphic content and themes of sexual abuse and systemic violence. Hi, welcome back to Spilling the Tea with CCE. My name is Alex Attili. I am a second year fellow at the Center for Civic Engagement and I'm majoring in political science and double minoring in Spanish and Latin American Caribbean
2: studies. Hi, I'm Daria Vallon. I am a senior and I'm a fellow at the Center for Civic Engagement. I am majoring in philosophy with minors in criminology and psychology.
1: Today, we're going to be talking about sexual assault and systemic violence against women in the prison system, looking specifically at the Edna man. Correctional Facility for Women in New Jersey.
2: So the Edna Man Correctional Facility for Women is the only New Jersey state prison for women, specifically for women. It first opened in 1913 as Clinton Farms, and it was originally designed to be reformatory for women. Um, Back in that time period, there was a big push to get women into separate facilities in order to receive different treatment than men. Previously, they had been locked in the same prisons as men, and women were basically neglected because they were viewed as being worse than men who committed crimes. Because when men committed crimes, external reasons were given to justify it. Whereas when women committed crimes, they were seen as going against their biological nature. They were seen as- hysteria. Exactly. Moral failures. There was something inherently wrong with them and they could not be reformed. However, prison reformers tried to change this notion and encouraged um, the building of separate facilities for women, which is how Clinton Farms Reformatory was created. In 1987, the prison renamed itself after Edna Mann who was the correctional superintendent of Clinton Farms for about 40 years. And interestingly enough, the reason it was renamed was because the township of Clinton did not want their name to be associated with a prison or a correctional facility. And in this law that changed Clinton Farms to Edna Man, multiple other prisons were changed. Their names were changed. So similarly to other prisons, violence at Edna Man is so commonplace almost every year Since 1994, at the very least, there have been cases of documented and people convicted of sexual assault, official misconduct. The list goes on.
1: And I just wanted to add here that this type of violence against women in prisons is very typical of systemic violence and cultural violence which both of them are forms of indirect violence, because a lot of people don't think uh, violence is like a, a fluid construct. A lot of the times they just think it's like hitting or assaulting, but it, it goes deeper than that. A lot of these assaults happen because of the systems that are put in place that make these women extra vulnerable. Or because of a culture where, you know, Dari, you said it earlier, a culture that used to see women as hysterical or something inherently wrong with them if they were in prison. So, a lot of those institutions that were then formed to deal with cases of sexual harassment, sexual assault in these prisons, a lot of those institutions that were formed at that time. Still had this idea in mind that women are women in prison are inherently morally wrong or have failed or are hysterical. So, you know, we'll, we'll go into it deeper in a little bit, but a lot of the institutions that are put in place either discourage women from coming forward or make it so hard to come forward that most people. Most people just don't even bother because they have to go through even more violence in order to report their assault.
2: So it's overall just horrible. Oh, absolutely. So in particular, I wanted to discuss the investigation into Edna into the Edna Man Correctional Facility for Women, which was. Uh, which was run by the Department of Justice's Civil Rights Division and the U.S. Attorney's Office for the District of New Jersey. And in April 2018, they informed the state of New Jersey that Ben Amann was under investigation due to potential violations of the Civil Rights of Institutionalized Persons Act, or CRIPA. The investigation led the department to conclude that Edna Man does not protect women who are incarcerated from sexual abuse by staff in violation of the Eighth Amendment and exposes women who are incarcerated to substantial risk of serious harm from sexual abuse in violation of the Eighth Amendment. So overall, the report just found consistent violations of the Eighth Amendment, which is against cruel and unusual punishment which then in turn held New Jersey Department of Corrections in violation of CRIPA. This report was made public two years after the investigation began. And just overall, the report describes this culture of acceptance in which prison staff and civilian employees are able to abuse a population that has purposely been made vulnerable by the state. Yeah. And I think it's important
1: to note that um, one of the one of the examples of cruel and unusual punishment against, you know, either just the women in general or especially women who come forward is the practice of strip searching. And there's no provision protecting women from a strip search by the opposite sex. So men can strip search women almost arbitrarily if they have, you know, if they have some sort of reason to believe that these women have something on them, they can do a mass strip search. And a lot of the times, you know, prisoners have come forward and said, like, men will watch them while this happens. And it's, it's very, uh, one, the report is absolutely uncomfortable to read, but it's important, and this is uncomfortable to talk about, but I also think it's important. I mean, there there was, I think it even cited one case that a court case that essentially gave prisons the green light for strip searching in this capacity where you don't need someone of the same sex to watch you strip search kind of thing. It's awful because in a situation like that, the officers can essentially just say like, well, I'm, do- I'm doing my job. And the women clearly are feeling it's something
2: different. I also, while we're on the topic of strip searching, I also think that we just need to talk about it in general in not just this facility, but all prisons, mental health facilities, facilities for people with different kinds of disabilities, strip searching has been normalized in facilities like this and seen as justified. However, if you took that outside of those total institutions of those contexts, it is absolutely a form of sexual abuse to force someone because this, in these cases, these aren't people volunteering for strip searches, to force someone to get completely naked, to force someone to then have to make their body available for someone to look at. In women's cases, they're they're including their chest, and in both sexes, uh, both sexes cases. To look at, you know, their generals and their anus is absolutely a form of sexual abuse. Like that is not okay. But for it's some, it's derogatory. Reason, absolutely, but for some reason, we've made that seem okay within the setting of certain institutions.
1: And, and, and that goes back to institutional and systemic violence. I mean. We just, as a society, have this idea, if you do a crime, there's something wrong with you. You deserve everything that comes to you. And I just personally don't think that anybody deserves that kind of sexual
2: harassment. No. And in fact, it took a court case for it to be determined that um, it took a court case to be determined that Sexual abuse is not part of any person's punishment, regardless of the crime for which she or he was convicted. This was a court case that was ruled fairly recently in Farmer v. Brennan in 1994. 1994.
1: That is less than thirty years ago. Yes, that isn't like it's not in my lifetime, but that's in my parents' lifetime.
2: Yeah, and it's just, and the thing is like that ruling was made because cases were coming up. Like it's not that it was just randomly decided. It, it's just heartbreaking. And the thing is, even with that ruling, there's still so much sexual abuse that happens both against men and women and everyone, but again, shifting back to Edna Man, there are so many reasons why women who are incarcerated at Edna Man don't come forward to report their legitimate concerns and violations that happen against them and crimes that happen against them. There's fear of retaliation. There's no confidential way to report things. There's, they get punished for reporting. There are just so many barriers in the way. And it just prevents anyone from wanting to come forward.
1: And I do want to reiterate from earlier that You know, women aren't the only ones who suffer from this type of um, sexual violence in the prison system, but disproportionately they're more vulnerable than men at alarming rates. And so it's really important to look at that. Like, why are women specifically more vulnerable? And it's because men typically commit crimes of sexual violence. And a lot of these officers are men and a lot, of, like, a lot of these guards are men and they're in a position of power that the women aren't. And for some men, that's just enough to give them justification to do something like this because they're in authority. They're able to get away with much more than if they were the ones behind bars. I mean... That, that just goes back to institutional systemic violence. You know, you have authority figures who can hold over these women's head. If you speak up, I will make sure you go to solitary. If you speak up, I will make living in this prison a hell for you. I will relocate your assignment. I will make life a living hell. And so women don't come forward because they're I mean they're like they they physically can't and if they do they'll be punished not just by the system in general but like by the people perpetrating the crimes and I also want to bring up the fact in the report women who came forward about their abuser and a lot of the times it was like in a workplace so for example if they were in laundry or on kitchen staff, because a lot of the times in prison you have different um, chores that need to be done. And so the prisoners end up being late, like essentially free labor for, for, for the prison, but that's a whole other conversation. But a lot of the times, you know, it's men in these workplaces that commit some sort of harassment against women. And instead of relocating the male officers who are perpetrating these crimes against women, they'll relocate the women to another assignment. And I can tell, not from personal experience, but my mom used to work in a prison. There's certain chore assignments that are preferable to others. For example, like if you're on trash duty where you get to go outside and pick up trash, that's like the most preferable. So if you get moved off of that one because you know you get to go outside for that, that's seen as a punishment in and of itself because- you lost the most preferable preferable job. Or kitchen staff versus laundry staff. You know, you'd prefer to be on kitchen staff. And then if you get moved to laundry staff, that's seen as a punishment. Why would anybody wanna come forward if they can lose a better job?
2: And to th- uh, another case was in May of 2018, a prisoner was returned to Edna man from a halfway house after a third party reported that the woman had been sexually abused by a male staff member of the community release program. So this woman was out in a halfway house in the community. Someone reported that she might have been a victim of sexual abuse, which don't get me wrong. Absolutely needs to be investigated, but what they decided to do was to remove her from her halfway house in the community and return her to the prison, and then put her in solitary confinement. That's that's a punishment. For why would anyone come forward? Not like no one would, and important to note is that the New Jersey Department of Corrections does have the authority to reassign an officer that's been accused of sexual assault instead of the woman or whoever else is the complainant in the case. But New Jersey Department of Corrections doesn't do that. They just choose to reassign
1: the women. Yeah,
2: they have the ability
1: to. They just don't. Yeah. Another thing I wanted to bring up is that some of the cases of sexual, um, there's some cases of sexual coercion in the report in which the officer will offer something to the women, such as cigarettes or a contraband cell phone or any, any, they'll, they'll smuggle in like contraband for the women. In exchange for sexual favors, and that's just inherently, since the officer is in such a authoritative position compared to the women, inherently that that's an unequal. It's a, inherently it's an unequal exchange. It's not comparable to um, sex work in like the traditional sense of the word because the two aren't equals one of them clearly has more authority over the other and that officer can then threaten to get the contraband taken away if this woman doesn't keep soliciting his sexual favors and it's it's awful and i just wanted to bring that up because i mean especially if you look at like some some views of radical feminist thought any sort of sexual favors in exchange for any sort of goods or money can be seen as inherently unequal because these women have to give something up like i said this is a, this this comes from like some radical feminist thought i'm not i'm not implying anything here but like you can you can make a very real argument that any sort of sexual favors in exchange for goods or money especially when Um, the one paying the goods or money has some sort of authority over the women offering favors is just inherently unequal. It is just inherently sexual assault or rape.
2: Oh yeah, especially it, by nature of the positions, it's not, it's not the offering of goods here, it's the fact of there is no opportunity to say no. Mm-hmm. Because if a woman, if a if a prison guard, excuse me, as they're called in Jersey, correctional police officers, which could be a whole conversation in itself, correctional police officers can just say if you don't do this, I'm going to put this in your cell and I'm going to then say you had contraband, which is, I can't tell you off the top of my head what level of sanction it is in New Jersey prisons, but it's a very big deal depending what they're threatening to put in the cell. It you can you from like your work assignment which as I
1: mentioned earlier, that can, that's a punishment in, of, in and of itself, especially if you have a really good assignment for good behavior. Um, you can be put into solitary. Yep. And that's a very real threat. Some it, women even cited, they thought it would mess with their, um, their schedule because they were slated to go to, um, they were slated to be on parole in like a few months and they were afraid that if they came forward About something like that, that it would jeopardize them going on parole.
2: Yeah. And it's just the inherent nature of a prison sets up for these kinds of power dynamics that inherently makes the population vulnerable. I mean, this isn't
1: typical to New Jersey prisons. I mean, this. This happens everywhere in the country. I mean, I I urge all the listeners to go and to look up some sort of uh, some sort of report on this issue in their in their local vicinity. You know, whether you know I'm from Ohio, so maybe I find a DOJ report from Ohio investigating these kinds of allegations on an Ohio prison. I guarantee you'll find the same things. I guarantee you'll find all the same instances that these women go through the same things, no matter what. I can tell for sure. I know what happens in ICE facilities because that's been a that's been a topic of contention in the news recently. Maybe not super recently um, with the Biden administration, but under the Trump administration, it was getting a lot more. It was getting a lot more traction, and it still happens under Biden. Don't don't think it doesn't. But under the Trump administration, there was a lot more attention called to sexual assault in ICE facilities, that immigrants coming over seeking asylum who have to be housed in these facilities. I mean, it, it's not technically a punishment. It's not technically. It's not, it, it's not technically a prison. It's a facility for immigrants who are either waiting for their trial or who are waiting for their asylum application. They just need a place to stay. But the thing is, they make those facilities and they treat those facilities like they treat prisons. So inherently you have these officers, these these ICE officers, who are inherently more powerful than these women and threaten them with deportation or some sort, some other sort of punishment if they don't return their sexual favors. And that happens almost daily. Women come forward about ICE officers assaulting them. A lot of the times it's the same officers over and over again. And children have even been victims of this. On, especially under the uh, zero tolerance policy that separated children from parents. I mean, those children were inherently more vulnerable and there've been cases of children coming forward about this. And I do also wanna point out that unaccompanied minors go through this because they don't have a mom or dad that they can report it to.
2: Yeah. Something that I recently read in Our Prisons Obsolete by Dr. Angela Davis was specifically talking about women who are seeking asylum in the United States due to sexual abuse. And they're fleeing these situations and coming here. And by putting them in ICE detention facilities, we as the United States are continuing to criminalize women's private lives. Instead of just granting people asylum and refuge and giving them the opportunity to leave these horrible situations they're trying to escape from, we continue to punish people for things that Like people are just again just trying to escape. Wanna hear something absolutely heartbreaking? So
1: a lot of women in Central American, in the Central American triangle, so Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador, they a lot of these women who decide to make the journey to the United States will bring packs of birth control with them because they expect to be sexually assaulted on the journey. And then what's even more heartbreaking is that when interviewed, as soon as they get to the United States, a lot of these women will come forward and say, like, yeah, I did bring birth control with me, but I didn't expect the violence to continue when I got to the United States. Awful. It's awful because they're looking at us. They're, they're looking at us as an example. We're the leader of the free world. And immigrants come here seeking asylum because they're facing so much systemic, institutional, cultural violence in their homes, no migrant will make the journey if the journey is more violent than their home life. So think of that, think of how horrible the journey to the United States is in general, and then look at, and then think to yourself, nobody would make that if they weren't suffering more at home. So, a lot, of wi- a lot of women who do travel, because there's been a recent uptick in women, families, and unaccompanied minors coming because the situation of violence is getting so bad, it's no longer for economic opportunity. It's just to escape violence. A lot of women will come to the United States hoping for an end to systemic institutional cultural violence, and they get to these ICE facilities, and then they're assaulted again. It's
0: terrible.
1: I mean, you can't reform a broken system to this point i mean the system was built on the fact that women are hysterical these institutions that were put in place are ancient like i don't know if reform can actually help it
2: at this point there just needs to be instead of trying to find ways to reform this current system or reform these individual institutions, we have to take a hard look at all of the relationships that make up the prison industrial complex and start addressing the smaller level things, not just let's fix this one facility or let's shut down this one facility. That doesn't change the fact that there is systemic violence and systemic abuse and inherent violence and inherent abuse in every single one of these facilities, relationships that make up this system, and those are what needs to be addressed. That's what needs to go. We need social change, we need economic change, we need political change. That's the difference that we actually need in order to like, improve these situations. On that note, thank
1: you so much for listening, everybody. Uh, We hope to see you next week on Spilling the Tea with CCE. Don't forget to check out CCE on your social media and see you all next week. Thank you. That
0: concludes this episode of Spilling the Tea with CCE. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to connect with us on our social media. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Hofstra CCE or visit our website at Hofstra.edu slash CCE. If you'd like to join in on the conversation, be sure to tweet us with the hashtag C-C-E-T. That's hashtag C-C-E-T-E-A. The
2: music you've heard this
0: episode was written and composed by Ethan Tauber.
2: Fun fact, it even
0: includes the chord progression C, C, and D. We can't wait for you to join us again on our next episode. Thanks for spilling the tea with C-C-E.